0: Acts seven fifty four through 60. Let me read this and then we will get right into it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. he fell asleep. May God bless the reading of his word today. You say, what does this have to do with Memorial Day? Well, it has everything to do with Memorial Day, and I will get into that. Today is the Lord's Day. Before it is Memorial Day, it is the Lord's Day, and we must remember that. But it is truly the Memorial Day weekend, and we're we're thankful for those that gave their lives Uh, served our country that we may be able to worship freely, that we can come today freely and worship and lift up the Lord and not be persecuted for that. Stephen was persecuted for lifting up the Lord, for preaching of His Word. Here we have in our text a man that preached and was slaughtered for it. We live in a country now that is still, for the most part, I think, Uh, we're still able to preach freely from God's Word. I don't know how long that will last, but I pray that we would take advantage of it while we can. Amen? When I think about Memorial Day, it brings to mind for me the Bible. It always has. It always will. When I think about Memorial Day, there's passages of Scripture that stand out in my mind. Very vivid passages of Scripture that I have rehearsed over in my head for for many years. This is now my 12th Memorial Day as a pastor where I've preached. And in every Memorial Day, there are certain Scriptures that always come to mind. And they come to my mind, they may not come to yours. But they stand out as flags waving saying, Remember this in my mind always. Do y'all ever have uh, passages that come out to you like that on Memorial Day when you think about God's Word or am I the only one? Does anybody? Anybody? No? Okay. Maybe that's just a pastor thing. I don't know. But I do. I have passages of Scripture that truly they stand out to me when I think about Memorial Day. And I'm going to go through three of them really quick and then we're going to get into Stephen. Uh, First off... Jesus should stand out in your mind on Memorial Day. If there's nobody else, He should, okay? Uh, but the first one that I want to get into very quickly before we get into Stephen, the first one I want to get into is the book, the book of Joshua. You don't have to turn there, but this is a, a, a place in the Scripture that stands out to me. Every time I think about Memorial Day, I think about this. This one particular part in God's Word. It's Joshua in chapter 4. And it stands out to me in a great display of Joshua's faith before the Lord. We're told that the the time of the year that it was in was in barley season and barley harvest, where they were harvesting that, but it was in flood stage and they were going into the land of Canaan, and the river, the Jordan River, was out of its flood banks at the time. You recall the story. And Joshua commanded the priests, he said, take the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of Witness and put it on your shoulders and go out into the river, a river that is flooded, a river that is raging. Go out into it. We're going to cross over. Joshua, by faith, I see this in my mind because I see a leader who is following examples like Moses... And here he is, stepping out by faith, commanding the priest, take the ark of God and step out into the swollen river. So by faith, when the priests stepped out, the Scripture teaches us that the waters were cut off. From the place that they stood, the waters were stopped. Why? Because God's presence was there and the waters were pushed back away from it. The River Jordan has always been a type of judgment. It's what it means, a spreading judgment is what the word means. And here we have the River Jordan, the spreading judgment, coming face to face with the mercy seat. And we see in that text where the waters went all the way back to a little town called Adam. Showing us that God's mercy and redemption can be found all the way as far back as the father of our sin. And this stands out to me and the reason why it stands out to me is because Joshua tells him, He says this, take somebody from every tribe and go into the middle middle of the city or the middle of the river, and pick out 12 stones as a memorial. He says, take these 12 stones and pull them out of the river and put them on the bank. And they took them where they were going to be camping that night. And they were to serve as a memorial for the children of Israel. Why? So that they would remember, that they would remember what God did for them when they acted By faith. They were to remember this. And it was to be rehearsed in the ears of their children. But it wasn't just one stack of stones. Remember, this was a raging river at the time. It was out of its flood banks. Joshua then, where the priest stood, where God's work took place, Joshua then stacked up 12 more stones as a memorial, saying, This is where it happened. And so one of the very, one of the, one of the, The first thing that comes to my mind when I think about Memorial Day is is truly this passage of Scripture right here. And I know it's random. I know it is odd that it does. Why not Noah or something else? It, It just doesn't. In my mind, Joshua stands out to me here because we have a raging river, we have a flood, we have something that cannot be stopped but God. Joshua displayed faith. And when he displayed faith, God showed up. And he showed up in a big, big way. The water stopped. And they backed up. And all of the people went across on dry land. This is one of the instances that reminds me that I think about on Memorial Day, the second, the second place. And like I said, these, these just come to my mind when I think about Memorial Day. The second place is going to be in the book of Matthew, later on in the, in the book where Christ is fixing to be crucified. And there's a lady. There's a lady there. And they're in Simon the leper's house and there's a lady there. And she comes in and she comes in with a very expensive... Bottle, an alabaster box of ointment, a flask of ointment. Instantly seeing that, you would think that this woman was wealthy or that this woman had an abundance, and she did have an abundance of something, and it was an abundance of this ointment that was very costly. And this woman chose, instead of selling it to the poor, or selling it and, and giving the money to the poor, or giving it to the disciples for them to distribute, this woman comes in, she breaks that alabaster flask open. And she pours it on the head of Jesus Christ. And the disciples were indignant because of it. Especially Judas. (laughs) Because he kept the purse and he's like, they're like, "This, this could have been sold to give to the poor. And what's Jesus tell them? She is preparing me for my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but not me. So he shut him up real quick, didn't he? In the 26th chapter, it goes on to tell us that wherever the gospel would be preached, this woman would be remembered. Why? Because of her great act of faith. She gave all that she had. And she anointed the head of Christ with it. And it says that she would be remembered as long as the gospel's being preached. And by George, don't you know it, she's being remembered this morning. Two thousand years later, she is still being remembered. Because of the act of faith that she displayed towards Christ. This is a passage also that I, that I think about and I can't help but to, to remember. She had admiration for Jesus. She had a love for Jesus. She wasn't waiting for someone to applaud her. In fact, it was just the opposite. She goes in. Jesus is reclined at the table. And she dumps a bottle of oil on his head. And I know it sounds funny nowadays, because we don't do that. But this was a big deal. She was preparing him for his funeral, for his burial. She gave all that she had. And we should remember this. We should remember this. She poured out what she had by faith. It was an act of benevolence, an act of love, and an act of admiration towards the Savior. The third place that I think about, and, and truly, and, and this is not just because it's, I just made this sermon up. These are examples that I truly think about when I think about Memorial Day. And the third place that I, I think about is is the Gospels and Jesus. And, and this is something that I, we, we should all think about. Amen? I mean, this is something that when we think about Memorial Day, we think about those that fought and they died so that we could be free. And what did Jesus do? Jesus gave up His own life. It was perfect. It was awesome. This was a miracle working Savior, a Redeemer. The great Mediator. He laid down His own life. He gave up His everything so that we could have life. And when we think about Memorial Day, the first thing that we should think about is Christ Jesus. There's no getting around it. This is something that that should resonate in our hearts. The perfect for the wicked, the guilty. Right? Right? He was perfect, we were guilty, he substituted his life so that we may have life. We didn't have any righteousness, he had it all. We are forgiven by him, we are given eternal life and eternal fellowship with the Savior. This is a big deal. So when we remember and when we memorialize... Let one example be Jesus. Let one example be Christ because this is what He did for us. He died in our stead so that we may be free. Fourth and finally, the last one that I want to speak on, and and that is Stephen. That is Stephen. I I, I always think about Stephen. Always think about Stephen. Stephen. Acts chapter 7, 54 through 60. I know that you're already there. If you're there, say amen, please. All right. This is the story of the first martyred Christian. The first martyred Christian that is recorded in God's Word. And it is a remarkable story. Absolutely remarkable. And we should all take notice of what takes place and what happens To Stephen, what happens to him? Stephen had resolve and he had faith. Stephen, what he displays goes down in my mind as one of the greats. He's on the scene for just a minute. He was there all along with the disciples. The people in the church knew who he was, but it recorded in history. He was there for just, just a blip. You see it over in the 22nd chapter of Acts that Paul talks about Stephen and that regret that he had for, for, for you know, giving witness to what happened with Stephen. But he's there for just a short amount of time in history. But one of the greatest things takes place in all of the Bible. And it's right here, right before us, 54 through 60. Today we're going to look at three statements. And it's going to be quick. We're going to look at three statements. The last three statements that Stephen made. The last three statements that Stephen made. As I was in my office... This morning I was going over my message that I had prepared and this, this past week and putting all my notes together in my head and it just jumped off the page to me. And the Lord was like, I, I want you to write a whole new thing. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. These last three statements absolutely jumped off the page at me and they will teach us. So much if we pay careful attention. Last three statements. Beginning in verse 54. Now the last three statements you're going to find are... The first one is going to be in um, 56, and then it's going to be in 59, and then it's going to be in 60. Those are his last three statements. But beginning in 54, listen to what it says. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. Enraged here means they were cut in the heart. In other words, they were cut into two. This is quite a bit different than what happened in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached. What happened when Peter preached? It said that the Word of God, it pricked their hearts, right? And it brought forth repentance. And it brought forth salvation, but here in this text, that's quite the difference because what was, what was he doing? He was preaching, but he was rebuking them. He was rebuking them. And what happened? In this rebuke, it tells us that their hearts were cut in half, that their hearts were cut in two. It enraged them. It enraged them to the point of their true nature coming out and showing who they truly were. And so you need to see that there in the beginning as we go further and as we press on into this, that their hearts were enraged. Their hearts were enraged. 55. Listen to what it says. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now this is not a fairy tale. We need to understand that what he saw he actually absolutely did see. And it stands for us for a reason. It stands for a reason. Stephen during the this whole time had his eye not on the world around him. Do we understand that? Do we see that? Guys, we have to understand that everything that's fixing to take place with Stephen, from the words that he says to what was happening to him, is a template and it is an example for children of God that aim to please God. It's a life that we should mimic But you notice first that he looks up into heaven. He is not looking at the world around him. The first thing that he did when he got into trouble. And we have to remember this. Why do we forget it so quickly? Why do we forget so quickly? When we get into trouble, the first thing that we do is turn to self and try to fix it with this. Why do we do that? And then until we stop and we say, a couple of minutes later or a couple of hours or a day later, say, man, Lord, I should have just given that to you. Or your wife reasons with you and says, you need to give it to the Lord. Stephen, the first thing he does is he looks to Jesus. (laughs) And how simple a sermon, how simple a message this is. But he looks towards heaven for his help. And what happens? He sees Jesus. Now he's not said anything yet. He's just looking up and he sees Him. Can you imagine the worries and the strife that would disappear if we just looked towards Jesus? The sermon is so simple. I mean, it preaches itself. Looking towards Jesus, but yet so often we don't. I tell you, a lot of times where we look first is our is our phones to our banking accounts. What <laughs> we do? Don't we pull it up? Bank account. Punch in the codes. Punch in the password. Oh, I'm good got this, 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 this and this I'm good to go I'm not worried about this trouble, I got plenty what we ought to be doing is looking towards Christ and saying Lord I need you I need you every hour Stephen was doing just that what does Stephen looking to heaven teach us it teaches us, you want to write this down, I have a whole list It teaches us that though the world may be falling apart around us, as we do God's will, we are to still look towards heaven, having our eyes fixed on Him. I could never do this calling if I did not look towards Jesus. I am telling you, in my own strength and in my own will, this man standing before you could never stand here and preach God's word without me looking to him. I couldn't do it. There's no way. Fixed on him. What else does it show us? I'm going to tell you what else. And this is a hard one for people. But if you stop and think and look towards Christ, I'll tell you what else it shows us. It shows us that we can have peace and joy. Peace and joy right in the middle of this ocean of despair. Right in the middle of this this place, where this time of trouble that we find ourselves in, and it doesn't matter whatever it may be, money, family, uh, marriage, sickness, uh, you know, all of these things. It, it doesn't matter education, whatever it may be. We can find peace and we can find joy, right in the middle of the storm, by looking. To Jesus. If you pay attention very closely, you will see that Stephen, he's not said anything yet. He's looking to Jesus. And just like the song says, everything else fades away. The things of the earth will grow strangely dim. This is what Stephen was doing. What else does it show us? <laughs> Obviously, it shows us that Christians will be persecuted. If you don't think that is true, I promise you, if you wait just a little bit longer, we're going to begin to see it. People other places are already seeing it. America's going to be seeing it very, very soon. It shows us that Christians will be persecuted and that while we are in persecution... That Christ is going to be the answer. We have to have resolve in our minds, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that whether He delivers us or not, that we will not lose faith and that we will press on the battle that is before us, standing strong for Christ. Now we know that the Lord stood with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace and delivered them. But here in this text, it just wasn't the same, was it? Stephen is slaughtered, but the Lord still stood for Stephen. So whether he was delivered or whether he wasn't, he had resolved that he was going to stand For Christ. What else does it show us? It shows us that the Lord's eye, if it's on the sparrow, then it is on us. Can we see that? We think so often that, well, I've never seen the heavens opened and I've never seen the Lord standing there. Why did Stephen get to... But what we have to remember is that this is showing us an example of what, how the Lord feels towards his disciples. How he feels towards his saints. He loves us and his eye is on us. Do we understand that? He is watching us. He sees us. He sees us in the middle of the night when we get up, when we are scared to death. Because we don't know what our health is going to bring us tomorrow at the doctor. When you wake up and you get bills in the mail and you say, I don't know how I'm going to take care of it, but I know Jehovah Jireh, God always provides. When the waves are closing in, and everything seems like it's you're, you're going under, you're going under, you're going under. You have to understand that He is omnipotent. He's strong enough to pull you through the storm, but He's also omnipresent. He is everywhere and He sees you where you're at. We have to understand that He is watching over us. He takes care of the little bird how much more will he take care of those he died for? 56. And he said, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is the first of the last statements of Stephen. The first of the last statements of Stephen. Notice first, he not only sees the Lord standing for him, but what he sees, he speaks out loud To them. This is important that we understand what he's doing here. He sees the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, but now he is saying it out loud, which really enraged them. But what is Stephen doing here? Listen to what takes place. Let me read the verse again in case you missed it. And he said, Behold! What does behold mean? What does it mean, Judy? Look! What is taking place in this passage of Scripture? Stephen, to the bitter end, he is continuing to preach to these assailants and he's continuing to tell them, look! Behold! The only one that is able to save, behold, I can see him. Behold! The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Son of Man, behold, Jesus Christ. Standing at the right hand of the Father. Behold. Now they were dead set on not looking. They were enraged. But till the time that he died, he was speaking the gospel message. To the time that he died, he was continuing to point them in the direction. Behold, look, take notice, take notice, I see him. You reckon he said, behold, I don't believe so. See, I believe he just preached a message of rebuke. And I believe he preached it pretty fiery. And so here, through this text, the remainder of it, you see him crying out. you see him saying, "Behold, This man, this man was loud. <laughs> you think, I'm loud." Stephen was preaching. To the time that he, to the I mean all the way to the bitter end, he was preaching. Behold, look, take notice. Even in Stephen's final moments, he is pointing the heathens to the heavens. And he's saying, look, there's Christ, the Anointed One. What else does Stephen's statement teach us? It teaches us that Jesus Christ stood and gave Stephen basically a standing Ovation. Do you see that? A standing ovation. Christ. Jesus, the King of glory, he is standing. Wait a second. But it says that when he went and ascended up on high, that he sat down at the right hand of the Father because his work was finished. It's true. So why is he standing? He is standing because he loves this child of his. He is standing because he is proud of Stephen. He is standing to show us, you want to please me? Be like Stephen. Do we understand that? Jesus is standing for Stephen. He is standing for him. He finished his work, sat down at the right hand of the Father, but now he is standing for one of his own. This is where we see it in Scripture at. This is why this is so remarkable. Because for this short blip in history, one disciple, Stephen, this deacon, the Lord recognizes his work. And as an example to us, we see him standing because of the faith that Stephen was displaying. Just as Joshua displayed faith, just as the woman displayed faith in the alabaster box, here we have Stephen in great faith. His work is not finished yet, he is still going, and the Lord is standing for him. But ladies and gentlemen, I want us to understand something that 55 tells us that he sees him, and then in 56, Stephen speaks and says that he's standing. Twice in Scripture, we see the Lord standing. and they're in back-to-back verses right here in God's word. This is incredible. That's an incredible display. Of love and affection for His children. It shows us what we ought to be. And I would say that all of us fall short and miss the mark of Stephen, don't we? (laughs) Don't we? We fall short and we miss the mark of Stephen. I got a page of notes left. So bear with me. You want to please the Lord? Obey Him like Stephen did. All the way to the bitter end. 57, it says this, But they cried out with a loud voice and they didn't want to hear. Remember, they were stiff-necked, uncircumcised, in heart and ears. They didn't want to bow their head to the Lord. They didn't want to turn. They were callous, couldn't feel dead in their trespasses and sins. But they had emotion. They had a wicked, wicked anger. And they ran on him as if he was a a rabbit and they were a pack of wolves. They ran on him as if he was trying to run away. And literally all he was doing was standing there. But they couldn't hear him speak anymore. Couldn't hear him speak anymore. Listen to what it says. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him unanimously. They ran, they chose together to run at him. They couldn't hear his tongue no more. And this is what the gospel does. People don't like to hear it, but it's true. It does one of two things. It either sears the heart of people and and they they won't repent, or they will. You see this displayed all the way through Scripture. You you have the haves and the have-nots. The whosoevers and the whosoever will not. Those that repent and those that don't. Clearly here this whole crowd were the don'ts. They didn't want to repent. (laughs) Such a terrible, terrible thing. 58. Listen to what happens. They knew that they couldn't stone him inside the city because that was against the law. And they knew that the witnesses there had to be the ones to do that according to Deuteronomy in about 17. And so they take him out of the city, and they're going to follow the law. They're going to follow the law and murder an innocent man. They say that he was blaspheming, so they're going to murder him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses... These were the ones that were to stone him. They were the ones that were to throw the stones. You go back to Deuteronomy and you see the law and how it tells us to do that, or how it told them to do it. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man. It wasn't an easy thing, guys, to stone somebody. You're picking up big rocks and you're throwing them as hard as you can to kill the person that's in front of you. Now, we've all picked up big rocks before and thrown them at something. throwing them at a wall, throw them at a tree, throw them at whatever, piece of glass or whatever. (laughs) This was a laborsome task, is what I'm saying. They had to take off their outer garments, is what I'm telling you. They had to take off their sports coat, okay? And when they took off their sports coats, their outer robes, they laid them at the feet of Saul of Tarsus which we know to be later on the Apostle Paul. And by laying them at their feet, it was, a, it was a witness that this man, Saul of Tarsus, was in approval of it. He speaks later than that in the 22nd chapter of Acts, where he regrets it. So they take him out and they, and they stone him. But the last, two, the last two statements come back to back. And they're going to they're gonna really show us some things here. Listen to what it says in 59. So they've taken him out of the city and they're, and they're stoning him and they laid the garments down at the feet of Saul. 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out. These last two statements are straight... From his master. These last two statements come from his master. Remember, he was full of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. He is saying these two last statements. What he is saying is what his master had already said. And I pray that we would be able to be the same way. Listen to what it says in 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus said something very similar to that, didn't he? Into my hands, I commit my spirit. Stephen knows he was dying, and he knows that the death blow was coming. He's almost done. So he looks towards heaven and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What's he doing? He knows what Jesus said. This was his example that he had. And so, what Stephen is doing is he is literally giving the example that had been given to him by his master. Receive my spirit. Stephen knew that his earthly tabernacle was being crushed and broken to pieces. So just like Christ, Stephen prayed. This man also recognized... Now, you pay careful attention to this. The next thing I want you to say about this statement is he shows us... He doesn't just say son of man which is son of David or Jesus. But listen to what he says about this statement. 59. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Who does he call him? He calls him Lord Jesus. He calls him by name. You say, Pastor, why are you telling me that? I'll tell you why I'm telling you that. It's because when Stephen looked up, He saw Jesus. He saw the one that died on the cross. He recognized Him. Do we see that? He recognized the Messiah. He knew what He looked like. This was a disciple of His. And so when He looks up, He says, He calls Him by name. Just like I'm looking at Robert and I know Robert. You don't speak to somebody that you don't know. and You especially don't call them by name. But Stephen knew him. He knew him. And he calls him by name. Which tells us clearly that Jesus is in the heavens. And that we will know him. That we will see Him just as Stephen saw Him. Do we understand that? We will see Him in that glorified form. How beautiful He must be for Stephen to gaze and for Stephen to cry out and for Stephen to look at Him with admiration. For everything else to fall away from Stephen and all he's left with is tunnel vision to the Lord. How beautiful Christ must be. Stephen also knew that he was committing his spirit unto the Lord and that, wasn't, that hadn't happened yet, but he knew that it, when he died that it would. He knew that to die and to be Dead or to fall asleep in Christ meant absent from the body would to be present with the Lord. That His Spirit would instantly go to be with the Savior. That His flesh may fail. That it may be broken and bleeding, and that it may completely be destroyed. But his spirit, on his last breath, as soon as he clocked out, his spirit was going to be in the hands of Jesus Christ. So we see a lot in this story. Listen to the last thing. In falling to his knees, he's not done. He's not done yet. This man is being stoned and falling to his knees. He takes up a position of prayer. And he cried out. Does it say he whispered? It says he cried out with what? A loud voice. Now I'm not going to do that and burst your eardrums. But we understand what a loud voice is. He cried out with a loud voice and said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sound familiar? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What is Stephen doing? He is... Walking in the paths of Jesus. He is saying the same things as Christ. He is mimicking Jesus. And this is what Jesus has called us to do. is to be like Him. Little Christ. Stephen bows his knee. Probably from the weight of the stones. Hitting him, he's probably too weak to stand. But it says that he bows his knee, falling to his knees. He takes up that position, that posture of prayer. And he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He breathed his last. He gave up his spirit. The flesh died. And his spirit instantly went to be with the Lord. Instantly. The last and final statement of Stephen is a prayer for the wicked. A prayer for the wicked. Do you think that you could pray for the wicked who's killing you? I hope and pray that I could. I've not been put in that position. I have trouble praying for my enemies now. Who may say something bad about me? Amen? Right or wrong? We have trouble with it now. Let alone somebody that's throwing rocks at you. Could you? Could you pray for them? See, this is what I think. I think here in this moment that the Lord God Almighty gave Him an extra measure of grace and mercy. That as he was brought before the Sanhedrin and as he was brought before the council and brought before all of these people, I believe that Stephen was standing fast on the promises of God that says, don't worry about what you will say, for in that moment I will give you everything that you need to say. I believe Stephen was there and he was so full of grace and so full of mercy displaying to us what we should be in Christ Jesus. What a remarkable, remarkable story of a man full of faith. His preaching career didn't last long. And I would even think that today, the message that he preached, if it was preached in most pulpits, their career wouldn't last long either, very long. But Stephen preached it. It was about repentance. In the person of Stephen, we have displayed to us an example that we as Christians should all try to remember, to memorialize, and to mimic these actions and these words of Stephen. Because Stephen was mimicking. The actions and the words of Christ. Stephen, without even knowing your heart, because I know mine, Stephen should put us all to shame as an example of what we ought to be. Because we know that we fall short of this and we need to pray We need to pray, church, that God would give us that extra measure of grace and mercy to be able to be like Stephen, to pray for our enemies. To look to Him when everything is completely fallen apart. Can we do that? This Scripture teaches us that we should. And I think that if we do... I think that you'll find that you'll find the Lord standing for you. I know you will. It's happened in my life where I've looked to Him and He's came through for me. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Don't give up. Press on. Times are getting harder in America. Continue to press on. Don't grow weary in doing good. For at the right time you'll reap a harvest if you faint not. Those that endure unto the end shall be saved. Faint not. Let's pray.